1: So guys, today's interview is going to be with Neville Wright. got—he um, sold his kidney care business for nearly 100 million. He's probably worth 200 million. I'm here to meet with him. We're going to get some great insights on how we start this business, scale this business. It's going to be amazing. Right, we're going to go straight into it. Hi, Neville. Welcome to the podcast. Pleasure to have you on. Good morning
0: pleasure to be here beautiful here. settings
1: yes beautiful <laughs> settings the sun's out i'm looking over your view, and it's absolutely amazing it doesn't feel like we're in the uk
0: i wake up every morning uh whether it's winter or summer and i think i look out on the view uh over the uh, uh bridge and the fields so and um it's like being on holiday
1: yeah it you know def- that's Definitely. It's amazing. He's taken me and anyway, looking out there. I'd love to be here. But look, we're going to start the podcast. Just tell the audience a bit about yourself. And then what we're going to do, we're going to go into your, your past, your history, and then probably come back round circle. And then the audience got a full circle of, of your journey.
0: Okay. Uh, well, uh, we started in business in 1974. We were... Uh, When I say we, it's Marilyn, my wife, and uh, I. We started in 1974 when we was uh, 24 years old. And um, I've always wanted to go into business, but never dared to because I had a job. I had 17 jobs, actually, because I wasn't very good at most things. And uh, I had dyslexia. I still have. And I, I suppose when you get a job and you're dyslexic and in 1974 you wasn't dyslexic you were dumb so therefore when people found out that you couldn't read or write uh, you was um you was classed as dumb and then you run away so you run to the next job and the next one and the next one uh, just learning little bits but never learning the whole job but learning bits and, and so therefore there was a recession in 73 and, um, I hadn't got a job. I was out of work again. And, um, I, I must say I never was ever out of work. I would go from one job in the morning to a job in the afternoon. So there was never a time when I was out of work, only this one time in 1973. And when there was about a million people unemployed and, uh, I was on the dole for about three months. So uh, I lived in a 10 foot caravan with my wife and my eldest daughter who was three at the time. And we lived through 73, 74 in this 10 foot caravan in the snow and um, on, on what was like a building site. And, and so I'd got nothing to lose. I was at rock bottom. So there was nothing coming in, only some money and uh, that's that's what made us uh, go self-employed, because what could happen, you know, is. So so that was the motivation. It was, and and then we I started as a window cleaner, because that was the probably the only skill set I'd got. Uh, Muhammad Ali was a a mentor of mine uh you know the things he said uh although he was the greatest boxer uh i remember him having an interview with uh somebody and uh, he said like ali if you wasn't uh, a boxer world champion but what would you be and he said i could be anything i want i'd be the champion dustbin collector of the world and he was like speaking to me, you know, if he could, if he would lower himself, well, I thought at that time, if yeah. he would lower himself from the champion boxer of the world to dust cart, yeah, dustbin collector, then what's wrong with that? Yeah. And if that's the case, I can do it. You know, I can be the champion of the world window cleaner.
1: Right. You know, it's like, yeah. it's
0: all in the mind. The so the, it's a mindset. So uh, this is why I've done the book and this is why I do the podcast and things like this to say to people who are going into business or are in business and having a little bit of a problem, don't give up yeah. because you can get through it and and what what else would you do in life? You know, you've got to get a job, so you might as well work for yourself uh, if, if you want to. Yeah. So anyway, we grew the business and... Just kept growing the business and uh, and still have got that property business today. Yeah. Well, it turned into a property business because every day changes and the and, and the window cleaning went to maintenance, went to property maintenance for other people, then property maintenance for
1: ourselves and, and, and so on. So just going back it. going back to when it first started. I know I'll rattle on, I'm yeah, sorry. No, that's fine, that's fine. So <laughs> I wanna try. So going back when he started, so going back to school, did, were you always an entrepreneur? Did you always have this because when I was younger, um, I was still in car stereos. I had a bit of entrepreneurship inside me anyway. Did you have that when you started off going back at school?
0: And yes, I did. I was always wanting to earn money, like with um, picking up uh, bottles from the tip or off out of the streets, because in those days you could get a few pennies uh, taking bottles back. So I used to take the bottles home if there was if I found them on the tip and wash them and then take them back to the shop and and then they used to run errands for people okay. uh, always like cleaning their snow and off their path and just generally wanting to earn some pocket money like um, collecting newspapers and selling that selling the newspapers by I think it was by the hundredweight in those days you know it'd be lucky to get a ton but it'd yeah. be uh, just just a few shillings for um, for doing that. So I was always motivated to earn money.
1: Yeah. And your parents were they working class? How, how did Yeah, they... they were
0: very very much so. Uh, my father was a carpenter, very skilled carpenter and joiner, and he really motivated me to be self-employed. He really taught me to be self-employed in the mind because after the war, Second World War, he was very lucky. He he had already got a job before the war and they kept it open for him. Right. So although he had a very tough upbringing and a very hard life, once he got a job in the electricity board, that they kept that job open for him. And that was the worst possible thing could have happened because if it had come from the war, uh, with his knowledge, he should have gone self-employed, but he opted for what he said was the safe option. Then, throughout his life, he used to say to me, I remember when I was four uh, and growing up, he used to say to me, I should have. I should have gone in business with um, this this guy who had got a furniture shop in Peterborough. And he yeah. used to point out this furniture shop as... Uh, uh, as we went by it. And he used to say, I would have put new furniture in the front window and I would have done second-hand furniture up and put it in the side windows. And he always said, I should have, I should. And that's one of the things I say in my book and it's, uh, uh, I I always said, I never ever will say I should have. I always will do it. But saying it yeah. and doing it is Two completely different things. But it's going into business. Uh, I describe it as like on the highest diving board you can you can find uh, with the coldest swimming pool, you're never, ever going to jump in no. because you can feel that cold. You've got that fear of that height. But if somebody pushes you, you've got no choice. You fall in. But once you're in, then it becomes all right.
1: Yeah, that's interesting about regret because that looks at like age four. Your dad, you know, your father was saying, "I wish I could have" kind of thing. Because Gary V talks about uh, regret is quite a big influencer, and my friends got quite a few care homes. So I asked them the question. I so said, "Look, in your care homes, when you talk to these old 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 people, or you know, coming towards the end of their life, what's the biggest thing?" And he's regret. I should have. So you really? already, at, at age of four, you thought, "I'm not going to go through." business thinking, I should have, you're going to go and do it. Yes. That's a good thing you exposed that very early on. And that's the message you want to give to the younger audience. Look, don't have no regret.
0: Yes, because you could, what's the worst thing that can happen?
1: Yeah. You know,
0: you, you can start again and again and again. Yeah. And in business, you, you do, you reinvent yourself over and over and over again. And you have these problems and you go forward. You, you have to, uh, in life when you hit these problems, you have to go backwards very often to go forwards. And some people can't do it. Um, I'm using the word can't, because I don't normally use that word can't, but some people can't do it. Because uh, I'll give you one example, and it's just a tiny example. We used to, when we was in business and it was doing well, we used to get two brand new Mercedes every year. Well, I needed some money uh, one day, and uh, I'd not long had the Mercedes uh, renewed, so I went to the Ford garage and I sold these Mercedes cars, and they give me nineteen thousand pound in cash. I and mean, this was a long time ago when yeah. nineteen thousand pound was a lot of money. You could buy a Mercedes car brand new for about eight thousand pound in those days, and um, they they give me nineteen thousand pound cash. Uh, well, like in a check, you know yeah. what I mean? Uh, and I came out with two Ford cars on uh, HP. Well, sure. okay. So, friends of mine said, I don't know how you can lower yourself, because we lived in a, like a mansion at the time, and it yes. was absolutely brilliant, and I don't know how you could lower yourself to do that. I couldn't, they were saying, and yeah. go, well, what's the difference? You know, you've got four wheels, you go A to B, it, wh- I'm not ashamed, you know. It's my business needed the money, yeah. and and then we was in a, a a time when we desperately needed that money. But within a year, I'd bought my seven. Um, I bought myself uh, a a nine eleven um, Porsche Turbo, seventy two thousand pound cash. So going backwards yes. means you can go forwards at a at a much uh, better rate yeah. you know you've never seen a footballer or a, a cricketer or, or a pole vaulter or somebody just stand there and kick the ball or throw the ball they always take a step back don't yeah. they yeah they and do. they take a run up Absolutely. like you never go to somebody as a pole vaulter and say we'll jump over that 18 foot high bar they'll go i will if i if I have uh, like 50 yards to run. So what I'm saying is go backward. Don't be afraid to go backwards in life. Sell what you've got. At one time, we sold all of our furniture. We sold our greenhouse. I sold my uh, motor scooter. I sold everything because I needed the money. Another time, I sold the house. A two million pound house yeah. I sold one day and I went and lived in my office for two and a half years. This was in, in 2009. So, and that, that's when we'd been millionaires since uh, 1984, something like that. So never be afraid to go backwards because you can save your business and, uh, and make an awful lot of money because yeah, two years later, three years later, I got 70 million for that business. Yeah, and it's, a,
1: it's the ego thing, isn't it? It's the letting go of that ego because going forward, there's, there's a bigger, a bigger opportunity, you know? I've got no ego. Yeah, so. that's the best thing. A lot of people... <laughs> I don't have, probably understand yeah. it
0: because there's a lot of words I don't understand. Yeah, I yeah. can't, dis, you know, I can't describe so
1: it. So, you know, when people tend to, like you said, you know, why would you go and purchase? You take a step backwards... And people buy into that and then they don't, they don't go backwards because they think, oh, I don't want to go there. But you made the decision to do that and look where you are today.
0: In 1982, when uh, we bought the biggest, the best, the most expensive house for cash uh, around here, this was in uh, um, Stamford, Lincolnshire. It was a recession. And the people that I bought, well, I bought it from a bank in the end, but I was going to buy it from the owners uh, a couple of weeks beforehand. And... Um, and then they went bankrupt. They stopped in the house too long, a fabulous house, and they went bankrupt because they couldn't go backwards. But of course, they lost everything, yeah. unfortunately. I felt like when I bought it, I felt like I would, I'd like to give them the house. Yeah. I mean, eight years before that, we'd lived in a caravan.
1: Yeah.
0: And again, you know, in 2008, that house, I had to sell it. And sell it quick to to survive, but I remember the people who sold it to me they had waited too long right, yeah. And so they lost everything So you hear people saying i'm not risking my house Well You are risking your house because very often people wait too long And they lose everything
1: it's time it's timing and when we sold our recruitment agency people thought I was mad but I knew the timing was there. You can prejudge it in business. You know when margins are getting smaller, you know the market's going to change, and it's making that decision at the right time can either make or break you. And I know agencies have gone under now. So I think it's important. So you've to talk about your early years. So you mentioned a job. So... You went to college and you, you, you kind of finished and went to a job? A dyslexic
0: doesn't go to college? Well, no. it probably does nowadays because yeah. they recognize the problem and they re- and they understand that there is ways to help them. But the best thing for me, I, and I'm only talking about myself uh, and but I do see it in other children in children, um, that they are not made for the system. And so, no, I didn't go to college. I did go to school as little as possible because when you are dyslexic, they gave me a pair of glasses when I was five, not because I needed glasses, because I said I couldn't read the blackboard. Yeah. When they wrote on this board, every time I blinked my eyes, the letters of these words changed places. And I couldn't understand how the kids in my class how they could decipher where to put these how to make the words up and and so therefore they sent me to the school doctor he gave me some glasses and in 1955 56 if you had glasses because i was only kid in the class that had glasses then they start four eyes specky eyes goggle you know all that kind of stuff then they start punching you you know and because you are the uh, and then you become the class clown or whatever, and then it's just dreadful, and then the teacher gets onto you because you know you're fighting back and then you're put in the corner and then you're a dunce, you your nose is touching the corner of the classroom and you stood there and people throw stuff at. You. So you don't want to be there. so they don't encourage you to be at school. they encourage um, people to be um, truants. So the system encourages you, the teachers encourage you to be a truant by disciplining you because they don't understand what the root problem is. And I couldn't explain, you know, so therefore, you know, every chance you run away
1: and they'd bring you back. Do you think that's a bit of a skill? Because academically, even though I went to university, I was not clever. I just kind of, help people help me kind of learn a way of getting around the system and you look at Richard Branson you look at yourself very successful maybe I don't know I think maybe because we're not so engaged with education that ha- that kind of forces you to think out the box a little bit and become a business guy and do you know what I mean it's like you kind of what else can you do because you know academically you're going to struggle to keep up with the high flyers um, I'm trying to think is there a pattern there where if you are have these kind of dyslexic you can use that an advantage as well.
0: It is an advantage. Um, the the government and big business uh, need people to go into education. So they funnel people into education. They say that's the law. Um, but why do we need education uh, in in the way they're doing it at the moment? People need to learn things, skill, get skills in life. Uh, but we're fed into this um, system where, and they churn people out. I was, you know, I I went to school when I was uh, five, four or five, 1954, 55. And um, that was, I I say I was being trained uh, to be gun fodder for the next war because they'd had the two world wars and I was being trained for the next war, just a gun fodder because they're churning people out because factories need people and they still need people. So this is why I feel the education system is is to get you to go somewhere every day to teach you to uh, be subservient, to be there in a place every day for eight hours or whatever it may be. So when you leave school and you get a job, you're there for eight hours a day, and that's what you do until you Uh, whatever I don't know what it is 65 I think and then and then you retire so I retired out of mainstream employment of going somewhere for eight hours a day Um, I I retired when I was 24 so because I ask people what is retirement they go well doing what you want to do when you want to do it well I had to do it but in my mindset, it was doing what I want to do when I wanted to do it. And so I retired at 24. So I was free yeah. in my mind. I hadn't got this goal of, uh, when I'm 65, I'll be all right and I'll, and I'll retire on whatever, whatever you get, you know. There's a
1: different type of freedom. Cause I've just done a podcast, uh, it's going to go out Friday. Basically talk about the why of going into business. And you can be free working, like I work 18 hours today, but I still feel like I'm free. Whereas you are. If you work eight hours in, in an accountancy firm where you're there told what to do, it feels like you're controlled. But yes. It's different type of freedom. Freedom is not sitting here, just relaxing. You can still work, yeah. but it's having the shackles off.
0: Yeah, but it's, I, I had um, 120 people working childcare, care, and I can guarantee those 120 people wanted to work in childcare. care. They didn't want the responsibility of being um, self-employed. They didn't want the responsibility of being the boss, but they wanted the responsibility of being free to do what they wanted to do in the company. And so if you place the people in their skill set on what they want to do, you've got a much much better workforce and that's what we did in kitty care we found what people wanted to do what they were good at and what they were passionate about and then we put them into those jobs so if people was passionate about serving people but they didn't want to serve them face to face we would put them in the service department on the phones or mending prams and pushchairs, or photography. If they like photography, they would go into the photography studio and they'd be allowed to set it up and do what they want and buy their own equipment. And, and, and so that give them freedom, like being self-employed, but with not all the garbage that goes along with it, with the you know, tax system and the rules and regulations. We took care of that. Yeah. So there were free people doing what they wanted to do, loving the job, but they hadn't got the responsibility uh, that, that we had and they didn't want it. And, and so the two fitted together really nicely. So it can be done.
1: Yeah, and I love the way you say that because obviously in recruitment, I've recruited thousands of people. I just had a conversation with a guy who's recruiting for, for his letting agency and he goes having so many people going in and out and he said, can you help me? And I said, look, what you need to look, do is look at your environment. Why are they leaving? It's not getting more people in, and the way you you know the way you've said that, if more employees thought like that, they'd probably have a less churn rate and better workforce. Um,
0: what we found is w- in retail, uh, people who are out of work generally will go for uh, a service industry like hotel. Um, restaurant things like that and retail as a stopgap because a lot of people don't class it as a um, a permanent job they, they class it as a stopgap so we had thousands and thousands of people over 30 odd years who had come to us and there were square pegs trying to get into round holes why do you want to come here why do you want to work here and they go for eight pound an hour or 10 pound or whatever yeah. it was a four pound an hour in those yeah. you know a year 30 years ago so they would want to come for the money and not for the job so we had a training program because it, uh, we believe to train somebody in retail it takes two years to to really train them properly so lots of them would stop for a, A couple of hours and say it's not for me or a day or a week and then then they would go because we didn't mind that because we was trying to find the round pegs for the round holes and and when people got into the job maybe because they couldn't find another one you know because there was always looking then they started to enjoy it started to like it take a responsibility and once they started taking responsibility then they stayed so we didn't mind how many people came through the doors as long as they uh, found what they wanted in life. Because I used to say to people, the day they joined, if possible, uh, welcome to um, you know, our uh, business. Yeah. And uh, just remember when you leave, and they and they, go, they look at me shocked and go, I've only just started, I'm not leaving. They go, no, yeah. no, listen, when you leave, whether it's in a week's time or 10 years, take more with you, more knowledge with you, when you go than what you've come with today. And if you take more knowledge with you, then I'll have done my job properly, the managers will have done their job properly, and you will have learned something. So I don't want you here not learning, and I don't want you here 10 years with one year's knowledge, I want you here with 10 years knowledge. So make sure you learn something and go away from the job if you if you do leave that's that's fine go away with more knowledge and then i'll be happy yeah and that re and that relaxed people that made them feel comfortable
1: yeah, of course yeah and that so i want to take you back because i know we're going yeah. to go so digressing when you were 24 <laughs> when you were 24 years old so let's say there's entrepreneurs listen to this now yes you know you've had so much success Um, So at 24, I know you touched on it previously, you made that decision. So what were you doing at 24? So you're working, what what job were you doing? Right,
0: well, I worked uh, for the Ministry of Defence uh, on a fuel depot that we was just waiting for war. Oh, okay. And this had been from the previous war. And what happened was we was uh, looking after Millions and millions of gallons of aircraft fuel. So it's really like security right. and maintenance, and uh, we had to be there. And anytime time if there was a war, the we'd start pumping the fuel to aircraft bases. Right. So the, you don't have fuel on aircraft bases in a war. They, that's the first place they'd blow up. That's and right. and uh, but so you have these underground. Uh, Million gallon tanks, lots of them, underground, away from any aircraft base. So that's where I was, and uh, the recession came, and these were really being made redundant uh, because it was old hat. Is they have been there since the last war. The tanks were rot- rotting away, and um, and really, it was a dreadful place to work. It was it was so. Um, there was nothing to do, really. So anyway, uh, I got made redundant. Um, I didn't get any redundancy because I hadn't been there long enough. And, um, and and that was it. I was on the dole for three months and I hated it. And I, I just wanted another job, but I, there wasn't any about. Yeah. There's over a million unemployed. And who are you going to take? Somebody who can read or write or somebody who can't? I'd got no chance. So, so therefore, we thought we would look after ourselves. We got to, really, because we was hungry and um, not getting enough money on the dole. And so we thought, what can we do? And we talked ourselves in and talked ourselves out of every conceivable job or every conceivable business. And there was two reasons why we didn't take all of these options was because one, we had no money and 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 two, we had no skill. And then one day, we it was staring us in the face. Everybody's got windows, you know. And and they want them cleaning. And I'd spoke to a chap a few years before who I used to work with when I was on shift work. And he and he had ladders on his car. And I said, What do you do? And he goes. Uh, I, I, I'm a window cleaner. I said, how do you do that? And he says, well, I've got this thing called a bit of scrim. It's a scrim, yard of scrim. And I bought a yard of scrim, it was 37 pence. And um, and you just put a little bit of fairy liquid in the water, in a tiny spot, that's a magic ingredient. And, um, and you wash the windows and you shake it out and it dries. And then you dry the window off and that's what you do. And I thought, I could do that. So yeah. I, uh, one day bought myself this piece of scrim, borrowed my father's ladder, and um, 26th of uh, September, 1974, knocked on the next door neighbours, and I said, I, um, I'm a window cleaner now, and uh, would you like to clean? No, I wouldn't, and slammed the door in my face. Yeah. Now, I couldn't understand why, yeah. because I was offering a service, but they could see us, next to their back garden in a caravan in a tip you yeah. know it's like a it it was i i got a house and i was i thought i was a builder i could pull it apart i took the windows out took the plumbing out took the electric out i took the roof off but i couldn't put it back together again one i had no money and two i had no skill yeah and so we lived in the caravan in this tip and i'm I must have bought the prices of the houses down yeah. around me, you know. So anyway, they slammed the door, and um, I went to the next house, and the next, and the next, and started this window cleaning. What I thought at the time was a window cleaning round, but I soon realised it was a round has got a ceiling to the amount of money you can earn if you do twenty houses a day at fifty pence a house, then you see it's whatever ten pound, and you've got to have a hundred houses if it's a fortnight, 150 if it's three weeks, but there's always a ceiling on what you can... So I realised it wasn't a window cleaning round I wanted, it was a window cleaning business. And what's window cleaning if it isn't property maintenance? So the book is called The Answer Is Yes, No, What Is a question because after about a week, uh, I would go like, or fortnight, I'd go to the house again to clean the windows and they would say, Neville, can you clean the gutters out? And i go, yes. And I needed to get more money. I needed to get more skill. I needed to eat. So therefore, I would never say no. Yeah. And then it got to the point of people going, Neville, do you? And I say, yeah. And they say, I haven't asked the question yet. I say, I'd do anything you want me to do. So mending fences, cleaning drains, you know, putting Window panes in cracked windows, you know, and it was like the answer is yes. Now what's the question? That's where the book, that's yeah. where the title of the book come from. You know, about the second week of being in business uh, through desperation, and um, and I learned as a, I didn't realise. And there's seventeen jobs. How much I had actually learned, but I couldn't put it all together and create a business in my head. It came kind of naturally when somebody says, can you mend a fence? And I thought, yeah, well I was with this guy and we mended a fence. So I learned how to dig a hole and put a post in. So I'd already learned that, but it didn't, when I was looking for a job, when I was looking for a business, didn't click with me that I could be a fencer. Never dawned on me until these jobs came along and I'd added a little bit of knowledge on lots and lots of things. So that's how we created the business every day was different every day I would I didn't know what we would be doing it was and I still don't really
1: (laughs) (laughs) so how did that so you started the the window it's a fascinating story so how do you scale that up so you just did maintenance and.
0: oh well it was it was quite easy really because um, you want to work as many hours as possible because you you need to eat, you need to pay your bills and you need to, you know. So, um, each day I would, I would work the maximum amount I could and l- be looking for work all the time. And usually it was from wor- word of mouth. Uh, the, the next door neighbour would have a, a job for me and so on. And, and then I needed uh, two hands. Well, I, Marilyn was, hadn't got a job and she was at home with the baby, so after a, f- uh, a few weeks of me being on my own, we were getting enough money then to put um our our daughter Elaine into a like play school
1: because
0: mm-hmm. uh, in those days every uh, every street had somebody who would taking kids. you know you don't need any didn't need any regulations or whatever so she went to a place in Veer Road in Peterborough, uh we used to call her Auntie Pearl. And Auntie Pearl had a dozen kids every day in, in a back garden. So Elaine went to Auntie Pearl's and um and and Marilyn was able to come and help me. So mixing concrete and stuff like that and we used to put roof tiles on and uh um all that all that kind of stuff and cleaning and bit of painting. And then um, my father, he um, come to his end of his uh, career and started working with me. And my father-in-law was on shift work and he was always up for a bit of extra money. And so he came to work w- uh, with me and his part- oh, there was all part-time uh, when I needed them. And then my next door neighbor, who was a milkman, because I'd moved by then. um, And um, my next door neighbor, who was a milkman, he had finished at eight o'clock and he wanted extra money. So he came and worked with me. And then this is how it started. So therefore, um, I think in those days, uh, it was like a pound an hour. Uh, that you could get people for part time, and we could charge one pound fifty. You know, I I'd try and do it in my head of yeah. how long this job's going to take, and um, I would I would estimate it for myself, and then I would have the others working with me. So I realised very soon that if I employed somebody for a pound an hour, and I and mentally I made the job that I was getting a £1.50 an hour for it then um, working uh, organising the job so it's efficient I may be getting £2 an hour from so then we could start uh, employing people on a full time basis and we wasn't afraid to do that because when you've had uh, no food in your stomach and you've gone through a winter in a 10-foot caravan uh, with a child, with no washing machine, uh, living in a, like a building site with mud and s- snow, and then you survive and that's your standard. And I must say, I, I tell everybody, people used to say to me, how are you getting on in that caravan? I go, "Well, not too bad. Actually, we've got running water. And they go, have you really? Did you put it No, I didn't put it in myself. No, it's the condensation that comes down the (laughs) walls every day, every morning when we wake up. Because we've got a gas stove. You put a gas stove on for the kettle and all the condensation comes down. So what I'm saying is we never worried about uh, having money for ourselves. The money was for the business to buy tools, to buy extra paintbrushes, to buy ladders, to buy tools so we could do better and bigger jobs more uh, better jobs that were better paying jobs so the money wasn't for us it was it was for the business and we had just enough to feed ourselves and we always would say if anything goes wrong we can always go back and live in the caravan because that was a standard that we was used to and if you can survive on next to nothing then that then everything else is a bonus yeah you know and you you wake up in the morning and that is a bonus that you've woke up because there's a million people every day in the world that don't wake up in the morning you know and it's like they've had their last day yesterday and and so therefore you, you you start you know um being grateful Yeah. For what you've got and if you're grateful for what you've got and if it's the smallest thing anyway then it spurs you on so you know um, keeps but, in check yeah although yeah. you know i i went out a few years ago and i bought a ferrari for hundred and pound and you know and it was nothing it was it was it was nothing but also it it only meant something for that day i bought it because it's yeah a beautiful car and i loved it but i only did a thousand miles in in three years and i sold it for one hundred seventy thousand. again because possessions i want they are nice and you you buy them because it motivates you and you can and it spurs you on but actually what i'm saying is truly you know um the, the that's that's not what you Do it for you know, in in, you go through life and you do a lot of things. I spent 280,000 one year on on cars just to get me out of bed because I was in a complacency stage because there's so much money coming in. And you go through these complacency stages, but at the end of the day, you don't need these things and you don't do it for that. No, you don't. Uh, And car
1: situation, my sort of you know, experience wasn't. 2008, we did really well. I bought myself an Aston Martin, and I dreamed that. Yeah. Because my parents were from Indian background, they were immigrants here. So we, we didn't have a bedroom till I was eight or nine, and now I've got my houses, <laughs> like, I can have any bedrooms I want. But <laughs> you learn. But yeah. The first thing I did in the recession was 2009, it just hits you, the recession. Yes. And the first thing I did was took my car back to Aston Martin, so I don't want it no more. Yeah. Because in a recession, you got to get your buckle done, you've got yes. to get rid of everything. That's it. And that taught me a lesson. Now, when I see nice cars, they're great, but it's not the be all end all you know yeah. it's more about building the business so that fascinating story I like that because it's simple you know window around you built your business and people think business is so complicated you know but it's simple if you do the things and you build it slowly and you're patient it's don't a, give up
0: it's a, it's a series of minute to minute very simple steps and I had somebody, uh, about, I've got some great reviews um, on on the book and um, I had one the other day though that wasn't a great review and they only uh, read half of it and they said you couldn't get anything out of it and they wanted really, I, I don't know why they bought it, but I think a lot of people want a magic formula, a magic bullet and, they, and I say my book is a lot of reverse psychology and it and it is too simple for people, and they don't believe. Well, I don't think this person believed that you could do it with such simple steps and methods. And there is there is a systems in there, and there is methods in there, and it is so simple that people dismiss it. Yeah, that's not my cat, by no, the way. It, it comes around. <laughs> it that cat? Oh, isn't there's it? a cat. Just, just gone through our lounge yeah. uh, off a big cat, yeah. And it comes around 20 times a day. You see, oh, this it? house, yeah. this, there was a house here before, right. and the cat belonged on the house before. This was uh, eight years ago, yeah. And it patrols this house 20 times a day, day and night, free security. And it, and it lives next door.
1: Oh, does it? Yeah. By the way, I, Sorry. Did, I didn't jump up then when I saw it, but, you know. <laughs> yeah, so um, it's simple because we do a lot of work with the Prince's Trust. Right. And we did an experiment on one of our podcasts how we set a business up in 30 days. Yeah. And it made three grand a month. And even then, people didn't believe that. So you're damned if you do and you don't. Yeah. So if you, if you show them an easy way, it's still, it still can't be done. If it's a patient, it can't be done. But you just got to do it. that's the whole thing yeah you know and you learn by it but with your business so window cleaning a property maintenance company how did you get from there i know we could probably do a whole two days on this but kiddie care um you know fascinating company yeah how did that come about why did it come about Why, why kids and why you know i'm sure there's a story to it guys i'm gonna jump right in now I hope you've enjoyed the story just like I have. I want to break this up because there's so much content information for you guys to absorb. The second half is even more amazing. So I want you guys to jump on when that comes on next week. If you've got any questions about this podcast episode, you can email me, j at businessmentorpodcast.com. If not, I will see you on the next episode of the Business Mentor Podcast.